Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors are so glad that you're with us, especially you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, and we're so honored that you're a part of our church, we always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So please come back and hopefully we can be your spiritual family. I had a, uh, one of our kind of long-term uh, families ask us, hey, pastor, you say that every time. You know, it's like, like, is there a reason you say that every time? I was like, yes, because there's people in our church that have this is their first time. So you might have been here for three years, but this is the first time they get to hear it. And so I just if you hear it every week and you're like, I've been here for three years, pretend like it's the same, first thing you have ever heard in your entire life. I right? just be like, oh, that's great. You know, just help me out as a pastor. Anyway, so uh, we are uh, starting a brand new series today called Christmas Songs. And the reason we're doing that is we, we noticed, you know, throughout the holiday season, you and I are going to sing a lot of songs probably in the Christmas season. You're going to hear songs from your Spotify playlist. Uh, I'm sure some of you all hear it right now as you're shopping. Um, we're going to hear Christmas carols and Christmas songs. I mean, it's kind of part of the season. But what I've noticed is that some of those songs are pretty powerful. They have some great meaning behind them. Hey, there's some great truths inside of those songs. And so we're looking at those. We're going to pull out some great biblical truths over the next several weeks. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, Luke chapter 2. If you don't have them, we'll put them up on the screens. And uh, I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church and you can highlight and bring it back and just double check and make sure what I read was actually in the Bible. I mean, how many of y'all know that's a good thing? And, uh, and we're going to be in Luke. And Luke is an interesting book. It's in the New Testament. So if you don't know anything about the Bible, um, the Bible is really a collection of books, and there's a kind of a main Old Testament. There's a first half of the book, and there's a second half of the book called the New Testament. And the New Testament starts off with Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's the book we're going to be in, and John. And those books really are really summaries of the life of Jesus. And so Luke chapter 2 is the beginning of the book, really tells about the birth of Jesus. So if you had to want to read you know, part of the Christmas story to your family, this is a great place to start. It's kind of what I do every year uh, before we open up presents. And um, Luke chapter 2 says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went on their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up to the town, from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Verse 5, he says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was experiencing, uh, was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. In verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Everybody say, aw. There he is, eight, nine-pound, little six-ounce, sweet little tiny baby Jesus. It comes out, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. It's amazing to me how the, the, the summary of Jesus' birth is encompassed in four or five verses. But if you really read between the lines and look at the context of that scripture, a lot happens within those contexts of scripture. Isn't that amazing to see that the Bible could summarize and yet we could potentially miss some of the things that are are inside of that? And that's what we're going to look at today. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that we're here today. We are here to worship you, to celebrate you, to be, this church is about you, and what your son did for us 2,000 years ago. And God, I pray before anything is said, that your word would move forward. The truth is, is they don't need my message. They need your message. And I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit right now would move and that we would all walk out of here different than the way we walked in, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, the, the song I wanted to look at today was A Silent Night, because I think if, if you look at Silent Night, um, there's, a, there's an incredible, you know, lyrics to the, to the song that really encompass the, the, you know, the idea of this birth of Jesus. And 
Um, I'll put up the lyrics up on the screens because uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna sing it as a church here pretty soon. We're all gonna stand up. I'm gonna invite a few of you up here. We're gonna sing it as a choir. I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do any of that. And so, uh, but I just want to show you the lyrics. Some of y'all got nervous. You're like, that church is. We ain't coming back here. So no, we don't do that. Um, but I wanted to show you the lyrics because it's an interesting. The last two lyrics of the song say, "Sleep in heavenly peace." Everybody say that means. Everybody say, "Sleep in heavenly." Okay, I'll say, and then you say it. So sleep. In heavenly peace. Okay, so what's interesting is the, the song highlights this, the Luke chapter 2 narrative of this idea that Jesus was born during a time where you would think there'd be ultimate peace and ultimate calm, maybe a silent, a truly silent night. But if you know anything about history or you compare it to what would be the context of what was going on in Luke chapter 2. It was probably very, uh, very less, much less than that. Uh, Mary would have been historically or even traditionally between 12 and 14 years of age in the Jewish tradition at the time. So she's now pregnant at that age. Tell me, y'all know that had been pretty, pretty tough. And then for her to travel from where they were to where they were going, historically would not have been on a bus or a train or a plane or any type of, you know, modern transportation. It would have been on a donkey and that would have taken about three or four days to get there. How many y'all know? Has anybody ever ridden on a donkey before? Can you just admit I've ridden on a donkey before? Okay, we got three people. Uh, I have ridden on a donkey before. Uh, it's the worst. And so I'm just assuming I've never had a baby. I've never been pregnant. I'm assuming that would have been pretty terrible for you ladies who have been pregnant and barely liked it. My wife, when she was pregnant, she didn't. She was uncomfortable on the couch. So I'm assuming there would have been a pretty tough time moving from three or four and traveling three or four days in that moment. Not only that, you get there and now they don't have a place to stay. There's no Holiday Inn. There's no Marriott. There's no resort and spa. There wasn't like, you know, the Bethlehem resort and spa so that everything can be great. There was no place for them to stay and they weren't staying in necessarily, um, you know, a lot of times you'll see these pictures that sell them. They were in like this nice, beautiful, nice barn that was so pretty and had everything all around it. It was a cave historically, y'all. So like it would have been the worst of the worst. It would have been inside of a cave. So you're talking now she's 12 to 14 years old, just traveled four days on a donkey. She's fully pregnant and now she has no place to stay. Not only that, it moves really, if you look at it, it moves from um, verse six to verse seven pretty quick. But I've noticed when you have a baby, it doesn't happen that quick, <laughs> ladies. And, and what's funny is the, 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 you're talking about having a baby without any modern amenities. So this is not at a hospital. There is no epidural. Hello. And so there, you know, there's no, there's nobody there to help you. There's no doctor there to kind of encourage you and make sure everything's going to be all right. In fact, I liken it to a little bit or nothing like this, but a little bit about how we have our children. My wife and I chose to have our kids at home with a midwife. And so there was no epidural, epidural. There was no, you know, things kind of going on. I'm trying to be there to coach and see what's happening. And I don't know what I'm doing. And so she's having the baby on our bed, on my side of the bed, as I'm trying to push her over as the, the baby is coming out. And I don't know what's going on. And so things are being, but it's, 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 it's chaos, right? That's not silent. It wasn't silent. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. And so it wasn't silent. And so there is a, there is a, there is a, an issue where now there's unpleasant things that are now coming from the situation. And on top of that, you have King Herod, who's now trying to kill the very thing that's being birthed out of her. And so I guess I look at this, this passage of scripture in an interesting season because it's never what you think it is, is what I always talk about. Isn't it interesting how the holiday seasons are never what you think they are? I'm a, I'm a high seven on the Enneagram, and so it's a kind of personality test. And 
one of the things that I kind of struggle with is that things are never what I picture them to be in my mind. I build them up so much in my mind. But, but the holiday season is so much for us like that. As a matter of fact, we do a lot of that. We kind of go like, this year's going to be a great, right? In October, we're like, Christmas is going to be great. November, Christmas is going to be great. December, Christmas is going to be great. And then Christmas gets here and Christmas is not great because it's never what you, what you think it is. The other day, I made a mistake as a husband, maybe the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes in my life caused a crazy fight. And uh, I started to confess to you guys. Um, I did a no-no in our house. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but we watch movies or shows together, TV shows together, my wife and I. So, you know, Netflix or whatever, you know, Hulu or what, you know, we just kind of like pick a show and we watch it together. And so our no-no in our, our house is you don't watch the next episode without the spouse, right? Does anybody ever have that happen? Like, y'all know, does anybody have the same rule in their house when you're watching an episode? Because it causes conflict. And so, you know, the other day I, we were watching a show and, and we were going. And, and so my wife falls asleep, you know, while we're watching the show. And I have this moment in my heart where I'm realizing I have this chance now to either sacrifice for my wife and be a godly man <coughs> and shut it down and go to bed. Well, I'm happy to report because I am a godly man. I love the Lord. I watched the next episode. And, and she got up and she found out about it. And it caused the biggest fight because she was like, she looked at me like I betrayed the very confidence and trust she had. Has anybody ever had that fight before? And so it was a big no-no. And what I realized, like, man, I made a mistake and it was not what I thought. Marriage, kids, family, money, job, church, hair products, they're never what you think they are. And the holiday season is, is just like that. And so I thought what I want most of my life in the holiday season is this idea of that last verse, peace. Everybody say peace. I want this idea of peace, but yet there are things that take the peace away from me. And so today I thought I'd share with you just a few things that I think really steal our peace. They take our peace out of the season. If we can highlight them and know them, I think we can be able to take a step in the right direction to actually putting peace back into our life. Number one is this. I'm going to give you an idea on the peace takers. Keep your eye out for this. Number one is this, is comparison. Comparison. I think so often in, in, in not only our culture, but in our holiday season, we can get complicated and we can overcomplicate our life because of this idea of comparison. I like what Teddy Roosevelt said. He said that comparison is the thief of joy. And it's so true that you and I cannot have, it seems like we cannot have joy at the same time comparing our lives with somebody else's life. The other day, I, was, um, I did one of the coolest things I've ever done in all of my Christmas life as a father, is we put up these great Christmas lights on our house. And I did it. It's amazing. They look so good because I hired someone to do it. And, and they, it's amazing, and they're powerful. And we were walking outside as a family. I get The lights get up, and I grab my kids, and they got, I mean, we we're trying to do the quintessential family thing. I, they get their hot cocoa. I get my wife. We're standing there on the corner of our house. We we're, we're doing the full-on, you know, Griswold family Christmas staring at the Christmas lights, and look at what we have done. And I'm staring right here, and my kids are in awe, and they're like, Dad, this is amazing. My, my wife's like, this is amazing. I'm like, this is amazing. There's a slow trickle of a tear going down my cheek as I'm enjoying the Christmas season. And I'm like, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good. And before I get finished with even my thought, my gaze peeks over at my neighbor's house, and I realize his light's are a little different, and they got this other thing on it with the, the bushes and on the trees, and then they got this blow-up Santa, and it's got all these little cool things on the grass, and it's lining out their thing, and 
while I'm in trying to enjoy the very blessing that I have, I'm realizing that my gaze is being pulled away from the moment of what I have to what I don't have. And now my mind just naturally starts to compare the two. And I realize they might have something better than even I have. And so now you see what happened before I had joy. Now I have envy. And I'm wondering why my house doesn't look like his. It's like verse 5, 6, and 7 in my life. You go quick, quick, quick. Before I know it, I'm comparing. Before I know it, I don't have joy. Before I know it, the moment's gone. Before I know it, I'm in trouble. I did it again. I was at the gym. As you can tell, I go to the gym. It's not a joke. I don't know why you guys laugh. Okay, fine. Um, I'll go to the gym and... uh, I go to the YMCA, all right? Look, I'm a YMCA guy, you know? And the reason I'm a YMCA guy is because, look, I'm trying to just, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm probably not intense enough for the CrossFit flow. Um, I'm probably not muscular enough for, like, you know, the Gold's Gym flow or whatever, you know? And so I just, I feel like I'm a family guy. So I'm going to the family gym, you know, where, you know, where all the 95-year-olds work out. That's where I'm at, you know? And so I'm over there in the gym and say, like, what's up, Gladys? You know, how you doing? You know, Mary, yo, you know, how you doing? You know, they doing. And, uh, and so I'm working out and, uh, and I get on this thing called the leg press. And I've realized I cannot run next to someone on the treadmill because I don't run well. And when somebody gets on the leg, on the treadmill next to me, I can't help but look at their speed and what they're at. You know, if I'm at 4.5 and they're at 4.8, I got to be at a 4.9 now. You know what I'm saying? So I got to be just a little bit more. I have a problem with comparison. So I thought I'm not going to do the treadmill today. I'm going to avoid the comparison trap. So I went over to the leg press and I got into this like leg press machine. It's an interesting machine. It's a contraption where you get on your back and you kind of look up and, and you put your feet up and then you, you know, you, you kind of press that way. And so you put these things called plates on the side and they got all kinds of weight. But I because I'm very strong, I put, you know, my, my weight on there, and I put, I put two 45-pound weights on each side, and so I'm like, this is powerful, you know, I just start, I get warm up, and I start pressing it, I'm like, this is awesome, and so this guy walks in, he's got to be, you know, 85 years old, he walks next to me, and he gives me this look, and he looks at my, he does this thing, and guys, we do this, I don't know why we do this, but we kind of size up the competition, I'm not his competition, but he sized me up, he goes, uh-huh, and he looked at the plates I had on, he had two, no lie, he walks over to the the weight thing he grabs three plates puts three plates on the side and I'm like looking at him like it's on you know and so he starts pressing the two plates on each three plates on each side and I had two plates and I just pretended like I just got there and that was my warm-up when I was really maxed out that was really the end of my life like I'm like getting at the end of it I'm like I can't do much more I went instead so he had three plates how many of y'all plates y'all think I put on mine I walk up there and I put on four I'm like it's time to go and so I put four on each side and I get down and I get ready and I push the thing up and I pull the little safety levers out and I'm like I'm about to do this and I said uh, and I waited for him I waited for him to be done I waited for him to be done this is not this is not do as your pastor does this is I'm telling you what not to do and so I waited for him to be done because I wanted him to see what I was about to do. So he looks over at me and I said, and I didn't say it, but I said it with my eyes, I'm like, watch this. And so I let it go. And I'm not kidding you. Have you ever seen when, um, 
You ever seen when like a straw gets smashed in half, like smashed together? It was like wham, just like that. And I, my, my, my feet are behind my head. And I, it's, it hurts so bad, I can't scream help. I can't scream. I couldn't even make it help. And so what I realized is like if I don't, and then I couldn't get out of it because it was so heavy. So I stuck. And so I'm not kidding you. It was like um, survival mode got into me and I was able to push it up just enough to get it to the safety valve, like where it doesn't go all the way up. But I pushed everything. And like, ah! I screamed like, you know, William Wallace. I screamed freedom from Braveheart. You know, I'm like, ah! closed it off and I kind of rolled out. And the guy looked at me and he goes, you all right? And I go, oh, yeah, that's how I, that's how I do it. You know, I'm, I'm pushing only halfway. I mean, you always do the full way. I do push halfway. And, and, um, and so I'm like, I, I, but I remember when I got up, I, got, I couldn't move. I couldn't walk normal. And so I would like run to each uh, machine to keep me standing up. So I'd run and I go like that. I wait for somebody not stop looking and then I'd run to the next one and I get like that. And so for about two hours, I couldn't move my legs. And then the rest of the day, it was hurt. It was just, I was messed up from, you know, I was, I, my, 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 my cousins always say we, we were tore up from the floor up. It was bad. It was bad. And, it's, and the reason, you know, there's a, there, there's a danger. There's a, in the truth, there's a danger in comparison. And the danger is this, is that comparison will push you to do a few things. Number one is it'll push you to overextend. It'll make you do something further than what your abilities really are. And in that moment, that's what I did. I, I really overextended. I shouldn't have done. I knew what my limits were, but it made me overextend. And when you compare to another person who's got their own life and their own thing, I, I, I couldn't, how did I know? What, that guy could have been a power lifter for legs. Right? But I treated him like me and him were the same. No two people are the same. No two lives are the same. No two walks of life are the same. No two walks with Jesus are the same. You're not the same person. It's never apples to apples. And matter of fact, whenever you compare your life to somebody, it's more often apples to, you know, garage sales. <laughs> Makes no sense. They're not the same thing. And if you're not careful, comparison will cause you to overextend. And we, I think we do this sometimes with our credit card and our finances. Isn't it true? Like in the holiday season, there'll be things where you'll see, well, I don't have that. I need to have that. Or I need to get that. So my friend got that for my kid, and I got to get that for my kid because my friend got that for him. And we, well, they went over there. Well, did they, they do that for Christmas. We got to do that for Christmas. And it wind up make you overextend and do things you would never even do that's outside of your character and personality. Right. And none of this is for you guys. This is a message I made for me. So I need something to help me keep from comparing. Second thing it could do is, it, it, comparison will overcomplicate your life. Um, I've noticed I'll pick up things I want to do in Christmas just because I found out someone else was doing it. And I don't know if you're like that, but you know, we used to do things, we have our own way, and I'll hear somebody else, I'm like, oh, we should do that. And it winds up making me overcomplicate my life. Why? Because, because comparison makes you look at what you don't have without looking at what, what you do have and when you start adding all the things that you don't have into what you do have, you forget what you do have and you wind up being overextended and you overcomplicate. And so what you used to have two Christmas traditions, now you have 55 because you see everybody else's on Facebook. And you used to say these things like Christmas used to be so simple. And we said that recently. This season used to be so easy. And then 
dot, dot, dot. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just you, you had saw something that you thought would be better, and you wind up realizing it wasn't better. It was actually made you bitter. Third thing it could do is make you shift your focus. Remember when I was standing outside of my house and I was looking at Christmas lights? It was interesting. As long as I was watching my house, I was fine. It was when my gaze changed. I saw what someone else had that wasn't mine. It caused me to shift my focus. It caused me to do something I was not called to do. And I wonder how many times we in the holiday season do things and step into areas where we're, we're not, it's a good thing, but it ain't a God thing because God didn't call you to do that. And I think being focused on what you're doing is incredibly important because in comparison, here's the, here's the terrible truth about comparison. Regardless of how much you make, do, accomplish in this world, there's always someone who does more. Always. Always. So it eventually becomes a game you cannot win. And I don't know if you are like me. I don't like playing games we don't, I can't win. If I can't win at something, it doesn't mean I have to always win at something. It just means that there has to be a possibility for me to actually gain something here. And sometimes we run races that don't get anywhere, and we run circles that don't get anywhere. And if you're not winning at the game, there's no point in playing that game. And even the writer of Ecclesiastes, whether it's Solomon, you know, some scholars believe it's Solomon, some believe it's a Solomon-type figure, some believe there's some, it, was a, it was a leader in the line of David. Regardless of how you believe, it's a wisdom book inside of the Bible for a reason. And the wisdom of Ecclesiastes speaks to this idea of comparison. Uh, if you, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they, this is important, they envy their neighbors. It seems, it would, would isn't it interesting how you would think the Bible should be um, inappropriate? It should be, at this point, irrelevant. And those words ring more true today, it would seem like, than it ever has in human history. That we envy our neighbors and we compare ourselves to the people, to the things we have and don't have, so much so that we are motivated by that success. And he says, but this, this is interesting, he says, but living a life like that is meaningless as well. Uh, the, the word there, the Hebrew word there actually meant grabbing at smoke or a vapor. Y'all ever try to do that? Like when you're, I don't know if you ever see like, a, you know, you're at a campfire or something like that. You can see the smoke. You try to grab it. What happens when you grab it? You grab it. You open your hand. There's nothing there. He says it's the same thing. It's meaningless, like chasing after the wind. That living a life of comparison has no win. Maybe an easy way to say, there's no win in comparison. So if that's true, there's got to be something better. I, I think, I think the antidote for a life without comparison is contentment. There's a great vis, uh, Bible verse that says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So it's not that you're just living a life that's being close to God. It's that when your godliness leads you into the idea that I, I am content with what I have, you'll start to live a life that's full of great gain. So a question that you should ask yourself every morning is when you wake up, what is the posture of your heart? One of the things that I learned from one of my mentors is um, having a proper perspective of God in the morning. And one of the things that I do, um, and I, you know, I'm not religious with it, and so, but, but I try to do it as many mornings as I can. Is I say, when I wake up, one of the first things I try to do is I look up to heaven and say, God, if you gave me nothing else, if you, if you gave me nothing else, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. 
If you gave me nothing else, this was all worth it. If you gave me nothing else, God, that's okay. I'm going nowhere. And when you, when you posture your heart like that, when contentment grabs into you, it's not being lazy and it's not settling. It's really settling your soul, saying, I desire nothing else to fill the void in my heart. Because God, when I have you, I have everything. Second one is this. So comparison can take your, your peace. One of the things you can take, this is, this is an important one, lack of margin. Um, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for uh, you know, over 20 years now, and um, it's been interesting to kind of see and counsel families over the years, but especially during the holiday season, one of the things I've noticed is that most families um, don't live with any intentionality, which means that families, by majority of, 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 of human nature, is that we wake up without an intention of our day, money, finances, time, energy, emotional, food. Any, we don't have any intentionality to it. So what we do is we take life as it comes. And I know that's like celebrated in our culture. Like, well, I just take life as it comes. That's a horrible way to live, by the way. Because if you don't tell your money where it's going, it will tell you where it's going. If you don't tell your time where it's going, come on, it'll tell you where it's going. Is you, have, you, have anybody ever gotten the end of your day and you look back and you go, where did, our, where did my day go? And if you're not careful, a life that has lack of margin can, can, I mean, you can lose a lot of things. Margin, so just an idea for just so we're all on the same page. Um, margin is the, the amount beyond what is necessary. So just a simple diagram for some of you, maybe you've never seen it. Um, margin is interesting. Margin is kind of like, um, I'll give you a, a show, put that thing up. So you have like your whole block of life, right? And, and, and really from beginning to end, you have, uh, you have a limit. I know that sounds crazy. I know some of you have never heard that before. I know like some preachers, you have no limits. You can do anything. No, you can't. You have a limit. And you have a limit of time. You have a limit of energy. You have a limit of money. You have a limit of emotional energy. You have a limit. And, and inside of that limit, you have a section that is needed, right? And that's like good stuff. That's when, you know, let's say your time. You have 24 hours in the day. Well, you have, you know, eight hours of sleep, hopefully, right? And you have, if you have kids, you have two hours of sleep. And then uh, you have, you know, you, you work your day and then you have the gym and then you, you know, you have time where you have to eat and you have time where you're, you're hanging out and then you have time where you watch the sh episodes of the shows without your wife and then you have, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so you have all the things to live life. You have to go to a job and make money. That's needed stuff. But then every one of us have this little part of our life in this time where it's called, it's called margin. It's the amount beyond what is necessary to do something. And um, the less you and I live with that, the smaller that piece gets, the more stressed out we get. The less peace lives in our life. You ever notice that? Like in the morning when you're taking your kids to school and you have to leave and they have to be at school at 7.30 and it's 7.29. Are you more stressed out or less stressed out? Just, just, by, just by a show of, of, uh, of eye rolls in here. You're way more stressed out than you would if you had more margin of a 20-minute margin where you're done, the kids are ready to go. You got 20 minutes to get to a place that takes you five minutes to get there. Come on, that's different. So, so a life with less margin and a lack of margin 
I mean, just takes your peace away from you. Holidays for most of us is there's never equals never enough. Like you and I can translate holidays, never enough. Like never enough time for shopping, for people, for kids, for life, for taking care of the house. Never enough money for gifts and for the parties we want to go to and the trips we want to take. And never, it's never enough. It's never enough. Anybody ever said that about money? No one's ever said that about money before, right? Like you guys woke up today saying we have so much money and we don't know what to do with it. Anybody else out here? I mean, that's powerful. No, we don't live like that. There's never enough space for our family. Come on, how many of y'all know how many people, like 18 people in your house up right now, you know? Because they all vacationing in your house. Never enough emotional energy for people. And the reason that there's never enough is because you and I have limits. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I want us all to say this. Say, say what you say. I have, I have limits. limits. You have a limit. And limits aren't the enemy. Overload is. And some of us treat our life like, if I have a limit, that's the enemy. I can't say no to anyone. No, 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 ho, 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 ho. But if you have limits, that means, and you recognize you have limits, that means overload is the issue then. And we have to be strategic about where we prioritize our margin. Three areas to be strategic about. Number one, I think with, when it comes to margin, we're talking about the takers of peace in our life, not having margin. You need to prioritize margin in your emotional health. One-third of Americans, study, one-third of Americans will have at least one psychiatric illness in their life. 40% of us will be in psychotherapy at one time, some form of counseling, which, by the way, there's no shame in that. Most of your Bible was written was written by and from people who struggled in their mental capacities. And if you need to get help with talking with somebody about that, it's important. We can help you about that, by the way. Just go to our information test. We have printouts for counselors. I'd love to get you connected. But we need to prioritize our emotional margin this week, this month, this year. You can only give what you have to give. Isn't that true? Like you can only give what you have to give. The best way I can maybe illustrate is, um, let's just say, for instance, this is you. I mean, you're doing good. You're full today. As life goes on, every day, you pour out a little more. Every day, you, because you have a limit, you only have so much to give, your kids wake up. And for me, I have a lot of them, so it's a lot. Most of my life is this. This is all kids right here for me. Yep. My wife needs some. Okay, I'll give her some. My job, my hobbies, golf is powerful. <laughs> TV shows, friends, family, extended family. And then all the mindless, needless stuff I do. And I get to the end and I have a little bit left. 
And what's funny is, then life hits you. Have you ever noticed that? You get to it, and you'll, I didn't see that coming. Man, I didn't see that coming either. Man, wow, I can't believe that happened. And they asked me to go to this, and they asked me to go to that. And I said yes again. Yes, 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 yes. And they keep asking. And I've noticed, nobody notices what I look like. They can't tell how much I have left. Only I can tell how much I have left. And I know I don't have anything left, but somebody comes and asks me to go to a birthday party. Somebody wants to meet with me. And somebody wants to time over here, and then I have to go do this thing that came out of nowhere, and then I got, oh, man, I got pulled over by the cops and speeding too much. Okay, now I got to go and, you know, write that sermon, and then, oh, man, I got to go do that. And, and what's funny is, is every time somebody asks me, I, I go to my reserve, and I, there's nothing there. Oh, oh, and then I got to go do that. Nothing. And then, oh, and then Christmas, New Year's, and then everything else, and all my life, and the thing I didn't ask to come came, and all of a sudden, I turn into this. And holidays, for many of us, we are, anybody on their way other than me to looking like this this year? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit it? Do I have one? Okay, one, two, we got three, four. Anybody else like me? Five, six, seven, eight. All right, awesome. Everybody else, you might, you might have forgot. But this is the American way. Let me remind you, everything in society says, just do it. It's like the Nike world we all live in, you know? I'll just do it. Yeah, say yes. It doesn't matter if you have it to give. Just give it anyway. It doesn't matter if you say yes to everybody and they all take advantage of your yeses all the time. Just do it anyway. That's, that's what Jesus would do, right? Isn't that funny how Christians will shame other people into doing things that are actually unbiblical and ungodly and not, nothing like Jesus? I always laugh when people use Jesus with me when they talk about no. I'm like, you didn't read your Bible. Jesus said no a whole lot. You, you, you need to know this. There were needs that Jesus did not meet intentionally. Put that in your theological pipe. He did it on purpose. There was times where he had people walking, waiting for him to get healed. and said, No. No, thank you. And he walked away. Jesus. I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that if you are a limited person, if you're a finite being, Maybe the most godly thing you can do this year is to say no. When your mom asks you to do something, when dad gives you that, well, son, if you're, if you got time, you know, they kind of use that language. If you got time, could you, when your boss asks for that a little bit more, when your kids Bring over the grandkids and come on. I'm just, I'm just saying it might require you to say no to the thing you always said yes to for the sake that you don't actually look like this. Because if you don't say no in the fear of losing the thing that you're saying no to, you'll actually lose it anyway. And how many of us have lost our families and our lives and our jobs and our sanities because we didn't say, we didn't say no. 
Lack of margin in our emotional life. Time is a good one. We need to prioritize time, margin in our time. Ephesians chapter 5 says, look carefully not how you walk, on how, then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And I, I find it interesting, he says, making the best use of the time, the time. That you, you and I only have a certain amount of time on this earth. You need to know this. Time management is spiritual. I just proved it to you. It's in the Bible. That you and I have to really, really value time. It, I, I know this sounds crazy. It matters if you're late. You want to get me fired up? Ask my staff. I'm a fan of having meetings at 9 o'clock, and if you show up at 9.05, the door's locked. Well, pastor, what about grace? No, no, I'm about grace. I'm about mercy. I'm also about principle. Show up on time. A lot of us think, oh, it's just... It's not a big deal. Just so you know, you are communicating a lack of respect to the very person who you are trying to meet. And I know this is like, no one amends me on these points because they're like, no, move to the second one. Tell me about the grace of God. No, no, you need to hear about this because if you don't understand the value of time, you will miss out on the very thing you're trying to value in your life. And some of you have never grew up with that dad or mom or somebody who said, I was, I'm thankful that I grew up with enough people in my life to call me an idiot. And to say, look, if you don't show up tomorrow on time, don't come back. Like, we don't live in that world anymore. We get in that world where like, oh, well, just keep coming in its 50th time and you'll be okay. And it actually communicates your laziness and your lack of Christianity. Like, we always, we, we celebrate the laziness of Christians all the time. I'm like, what are you doing? We should be the most prudent people on time because we recognize that we only have a small amount here and what we do with it stinking matters because you would you would if i showed up i said church starts at 9 30 i roll in here at 9 59 and you guys are like waiting around like i thought what happened to pastor where is he at what would that communicate what would that communicate? You sitting up in here and I'm supposed to be here at 9.30. What happens? What does that communicate? You are, I know you are, man. You don't like, I mean, he don't care about me. He don't care about my time. He don't care. It's the same way. We have to think about it. I'm not getting off of this. This matters this year. And if you don't prioritize that and have margin to do that, you will always be late everywhere you go. Why? Because you said yes to every place and every silly thing that you could do. The only way you have margin in time, just so you know, the only way you have margin in time is for you not to do everything. So don't do everything this year. I'm encouraging you as a pastor, say no. Third one is this. I'm done. It's finances. I like what 1 Peter chapter 4 says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. I like you said, as good stewards, which means everything that you and I have in our life. We have a great statement here at the church. We say um, we are um, managers, we're, we're, we're owners of nothing, stewards of everything, which means everything that's in our hands is not yours. It's been given to you by God. So I, I'm, can, I'm trying to remind us that everything we have has been given to us by God. So if everything has been given to us by God, then it's our responsibility is to steward it well. Yes, spend some on you. Yes, have a good time with it, on some of it, with some of it. But yes, put some of it away. Yes, do good with some of it. Yes, save some of it. Yes, give some of it. 
Yes, have fun with some of it. Yeah, squander some. It's fun. I mean, yeah, yeah. But you're stewarding all of it because it's from God. And here's what I've noticed. Most people would do good with their money if they had it. Most people would give to the church if they had the money to give. I've met great people, good hearts. Pastor, I'd give it. Man, we have so much credit card debt. We've had so much. We've made so many decisions. All your community, we've made so many decisions in our financial life in a poor manner that we couldn't do money. We couldn't do good with it if we wanted to. So we want to do these things. And I'm giving you the opportunity. If you learn to say no and create margin, you can start doing stuff with the finances you do have. You know, there are two ways you can have financial margin. Two ways and I'm done. Two ways. You want to know why? Two ways. Here's how you create financial margin in your life. You make more or you spend less. And here's what I found out. I have a little bit of control on that first one, make more. Like I can maybe do a side job here or there. I can beg my boss for a raise. I can get a Christmas bonus at a randomly somewhere. Or I can just, I can always control how much I spend. Did you know that? Yeah. I can always control that. And if I learn to say no to some things now, I can say yes to some great things later. Yeah. And I, be, I believe it. I believe in my heart that if we can manage and, and prioritize managing our margin for our finances, for our time, for our energy, man, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll radically change the peace in your life this Christmas. My hope, and I'm done, my hope is that you and I, this Christmas season, I pray the idea of peace, you know, the Hebrew word peace is shalom on your family this year. And some of us can pray for that and ask God to, because God is the God of peace. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is the, the, the God, my, my peace. He is peace. He doesn't just give you peace. He is peace. He can be peace to you. But let's not make God the lifeguard of our life where we're drowning in all the decisions that we made that were wrong. And we say, God, fix everything that I did wrong. When... I could have made some decisions to create some margins so that I can, mm, I can also live with that peace that you give me. You can find peace through his principle, not just through his miracle. And my hope is, is that maybe this year we can do our part in some of those areas. And the truth is, even if you had made some mistakes, even if you did make some bad decisions, even if you're like me and you look like this for the holiday season, God can come and restore it. But I believe the best life, though, is a life made on his principle, made through his Bible, made through his word. Say, so God, I choose to say no to this so I could say yes later. God, God I choose to, to not just live with, with, with margin, but God, I choose not to compare my life. I choose not to look at what I don't have. I choose to be okay and content with what I do have. God, if you gave me nothing else, this is all worth it. This is all worth it. Thank you, Jesus. I think if we live like that, you'll have some peace this year.